Hello and welcome to Live Life Better, the all-new podcast from Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. I'm Dominic Frisby and in this series we're going to be exploring subjects from motivation to creativity to happiness with key authors, thinkers and innovators. And this week we're looking at turning points with a focus on physical health. It's a new year and we've all got new goals, but how do you get yourself into top shape in both body and in mind while trying to balance real life at the same time? To help answer those questions, I'm joined today by a best-selling author who certainly knows a thing or two about channeling willpower and taking a dive. She's just released a new book called Leap In, and that follows her hugely successful 2013 memoir, Running Like a Girl. There's a provocative title. I am pleased to welcome Alexandra Hemmingsley, who likes to be called Alex. Alex, yeah. welcome to the show. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, I'm well, very well. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, obviously, running and swimming with mm-hmm. those two books are going to be big themes today. But let's start. Do you consider yourself, Alex, a typical fitness buff? <laughs> I really profoundly and very most definitely am not a typical fitness buff. I kind of think that the only reason I have any form of career is by being identifiably different. What I do think I am is more like lots of people who just want to try and do a little bit of exercise. (laughs) It's the sort of the celebration of the average rather than the buff Ah. that is where I lie in the marketplace. (laughs) (laughs) I know the feeling. I know the feeling. I have a long history of averageness uh, throughout my (laughs) life. Um, So presumably you haven't always been into fitness? No, not at all. Running was completely my entry point. I was one of those people that would, you know, when when a reality TV person did a fitness DVD, I would watch it with a glass of white wine and a bowl of crisps and go, oh, I quite like her trainers. Um, But yeah, and I, I, I had just grown up probably since adolescence with this perception that fitness was somehow a club or a gene or a instinct that you were gifted by someone else that you know you either had it or you didn't and if you didn't have it then just go and read a book or talk about films with somebody or go and have a nice meal that there was no sense until I was kind of well over 30 that you could you could you were allowed to join in you didn't have to win the race or do 10 marathons or do an ultra marathon or have all the kit you could just try and that no one was going to stop you and and that it might be fun how nice to have as your unique selling point the fact that you are average well i think that too many people don't start because they think that that benchmark is really high. And, I mean, obviously anybody, even if you were a terribly esteemed novelist or something like that, the the most lovely thing anybody who's ever written anything can be told is, thank you for saying that, I thought it was just me. And that is the most common thing that women say to me about fitness is, I thought that because I don't look like the person on the front of Running Magazine or one of those sort of New Year, New You kind of magazines, I thought that there was no point beginning. So I've tried, <laughs> valiantly tried for three or four years to 
not have airbrushed photographs and to let my kind of thighs look massive if I'm photographed running and to not sort of always you know, have the aspirational leap midair <laughs> that when you do go for a run and you come back looking like a sweaty beetroot, that those people know that that's OK too. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go for the run. What is the greatest thing that your kind of adventures as a fitness guru have brought you? Is it some kind of increased discipline? Is it mental well-being? Or is it actually just feeling physically better? Well, feeling physically better doesn't, I don't believe, ever work in isolation. If you've, like, gone for a run, you never come back and go, oh, goodness, my legs feel stronger. You come back and you go, my legs feel stronger and I feel great, but also I've stopped fretting about that thing that I was worrying about, like staring at my phone and pacing up and down the house. And I, you know, my head is clearer. I feel a bit more confident about myself in a bigger sense because I did that thing I was dreading all day. So feeling physically better, it doesn't really merit having the word just in front of it because it always has a little portfolio of other benefits too. And I think that's what the biggest lesson I learned from engaging with exercise and sport was that I'd thought my body was like, I don't know, like a kind of trusty old pet that was along for the ride, but it wasn't me. It didn't represent me in any way. Whereas now I kind of, I know that if I'm feeling not so great about myself and I'm trying on a pair of jeans, well, I mean, I don't do that anyway because I'm six months pregnant, but before I was trying on a pair of jeans, it helped me to think... These aren't just legs that are too big for these jeans. These are legs that have run five marathons and swum to Ithaca and I've done amazing things and it's helped me see the world differently and engage with people differently. And so every single part of me I relate to slightly differently because of what it can do rather than just what it looks like. And that I had understood that exercise was to do with looks, end of story. But it turned out to be this sort of huge universe of excitement. You definitely think more clearly after you've oh, done exercise. Yeah. And there's a physiological reason for it, and I can't remember what it is, but it's something to do with the part of the brain that is engaged in worrying or whatever it is. Yeah. goes focuses on the automotive motor, whether it's cycling or yeah. running or even walking or swimming, whatever it is. And because it's exercising that, it frees up the rest of the brain, which allows it to think more clearly. Yeah, but also I think even more importantly than that... Running to a degree, although sometimes if you run with music it's a bit different, but swimming especially, you haven't got that one eye on the notifications from your sure. phone and you can't fret too much about how many like click likes have I had if there's like a wave coming at your face and you have to really quickly inhale before you <laughs> before the wave hits you or whatever. Coming up later in this podcast, we'll also be speaking to Dalton Wong, who is personal trainer to the stars. And his concept is all about how 15 minutes a day spent on something that makes you feel good can result in a world of difference. And having trained the likes of Jennifer Lawrence, Amanda Seafried, Kit Harrington and Nigel Slater... Um, I think I'm probably interested. Anyway, that is Dalton Wong, author of The Feel Good Plan. Now, first, joining Alexandra and me, or Alex and me in the studio, is another innovator in the fitness world who's been growing a very big following. He is one quarter of LDN Muscle, and he is co-author of the book Leaner, Fitter, Stronger, and he is a very young, fit, healthy, muscly-looking man, has the looks of a Scandinavian god, perhaps the god of thunder or something like that. <laughs> James Exton. Welcome, James. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon, and thanks for the complimentary uh, intro. Anytime, anytime. I'm just trying to get a, a free fitness session off you, that's all. Um, now, so for those of us who aren't familiar with LDN Muscle, perhaps you could explain what the company is and what it stands for. 
Yes, yeah, so LDN Muscle, and um, the LDN is an abbreviation of London, obviously where the four founders originated. It's an online platform that specialises in training guides, so that's diet and nutrition plans that work with smartphones, tablets, and also does educational courses, so qualifies people in nutrition and personal training uh, alongside clothing, and yeah, that's the business in a nutshell. Now, you're also a barrister. That's correct. That was my former qualification, so I qualified from Nottingham Law School and was in practice before I started this online. So how do you marry being a barrister with running LDN and writing all these books? So, at, at the and, st- and indeed your discipline plan, your fitness plan? So at the, at the start it was quite a juggle. Hiding a mobile phone at the workplace doesn't always go down too well or trying to check Twitter and being caught out doesn't go down too well. So there came a point at which I had to make a decision to transition from law into fitness. But it's been a great experience and something that's, you know, being your own boss is your worst enemy, but it's also got its benefits as well. Excellent. So tell us about Lena Fitter Stronger. Lena Fitter Stronger, it's our debut book. It's got a load of recipes in there and really accessible workouts for people. It's really aimed at those that are starting out their journey in fitness. Uh, nothing convoluted, no long words, all really realistic expectations, so no spending hours in a gym. In fact, you can do it on your sofa, so there really are no excuses. And it's you not do it on your sofa? Frightening. Yeah, the, the workouts can be done using your sofa or, or sort of domestic household. Um, what is that, like step-ups? and st- Step-ups, sit-ups, yep, you name it, press-ups. Um, Triceps, dips. Yeah, so, so it's aimed to be sort of non-convoluted, and very, very simplistic start to fitness. And how often do you train? I normally go to the gym about five times a week, but uh, worry not, that's at that my stage and that's sort of six, seven years down the line. We don't advise people to go sort of health leather at the beginning. You've been helping people across the world get fit and they've made some big body transformations. And you can see the before and after shots on Instagram. I imagine that's quite good viewing. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so the before and after shots are obviously the kind of... Um, the hallmark of our work and what the um, effectiveness of our products is. It's incredible to see such a diverse range of people that start and finish. Everyone's got their own goal and that's unique to them. But arguably, you know, everyone's is valid in its own right. And what we try and really sort of champion is that there is no barrier to entry at all. So whilst you might see us guys with a top off and find that intimidating at the outset, that doesn't affect your um, entitlement, if you like, or your ability to come and do the same. I've got a guy we put up this morning on on Twitter. He's lost 50 kilos over a, a fairly long period with us guys so yeah there really is no barrier to entry it's aesthetics for all what did you have for breakfast uh, I was bad this morning. I didn't eat breakfast. I shot out of the house early. Is that bad not to eat breakfast? Uh, I say bad uh, amongst the usual stereotype that breakfast is the uh, most important meal of the day. Because I find I it the easiest meal to skip. I do too. I'm, I'm on your uh, side of the fence for that. I don't like cycling on a full stomach and I don't want to cook a sort of gourmet meal before I go to work. I quite like cycling with an empty stomach. So I didn't have anything for breakfast. And then I was in a rush before I came here. So I had a protein shoker and a bowl of all bran and some nuts. So uh, really nothing fancy there at all. Do you drink? at all? I do. Um, if I go out, I'm lucky enough not to like beer or have a casual pint, not through health reasons, just it's not a drink I particularly enjoy. So What a blessing. What God's blessing. Yeah, luck. <laughs> <laughs> and did you like sweet food at all? That? Yes, yeah. One of the things we're very, very sort of clear to promote is the fact that eating a McDonald's or eating a chocolate bar or eating whatever people typically associated as a bad food isn't the reason why people put on weight or are overweight it's actually a wider sort of issue of total calories so someone could happily lose weight not that i'd advise it but just eating junk food if you like the sort of stereotype foods of chocolate crisps if they were in a total calorie deficit so they ate less than their body required they could still lose weight eating that so all of our diet plans advocate eating foods that you enjoy and you're not confined to a tupperware box of broccoli and rice that frankly anyone would get sick of after a few days 
I'm doing this fasting diet at the moment where you fast two days a week, and yesterday was my fasting day. I put uh, a little bit of coconut oil when I have a cup of tea because I'd read somewhere that coconut oil suppresses your appetite. So I, I do that, and I'm quite good at... Once you get into the habit, I'm quite good at skipping meals and fasting. But my diet yesterday was five apples... And when I, I, I had a big... I played table tennis, a big table tennis match. And when I got home, I looked at my phone and I still hadn't had the 600 calories that you're allowed to have. So my diet yesterday was five apples and a shot of whiskey before bed. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> that's brilliant. So the, the, that's what we encourage people to do, to find foods or drinks that fit yeah. into their total allowance for the day. Um, so long as they're not um, completely deficient in one of the key elements of their diet, then, yeah, brilliant. If you can fit it in, adherence, so sticking to something, is the biggest reason why a diet would work. I'm going to do the whiskey diet. You, you, you lose <laughs> three days. <laughs> right, Alex, let's talk about diet. Did you change your diet massively? to do all your um, activities? I kind of instinctively did because if you're doing more, the food that you want to eat does kind of... You're sort of led to be more healthy. If you're going out and running around and all you're eating is sort of really nutrient-lacking foods, then you just sort of feel a bit sort of floppy and rubbish about yourself. You want to be able to... You know, with running, it was, you know, when it was a sprint training day and, and I hadn't had any protein, I could really, really feel it. It wasn't enough to just have an apple for breakfast. I needed to have, like, an egg as well, rebuild some muscle and stuff. And swimming is a disaster for weight loss. Oh. Oh my because, God, because you eat so much. Well, yeah, swimming makes you incredibly hungry because... And it puts, you put on a layer of blubber, don't you, when you swim? Well, it's not when you swim, it's when you eat after swimming. <laughs> I, thought, I thought swimming, because kind of the body being in water... No, br- it's two no. things. Oh, okay. One is that swimming makes you quite hungry anyway. Both of you anyway. shaking your heads at me. Yeah, no, sure, I don't. Because you sweat, yeah. and, but because you're suspended in water, you don't realise that you're sweating, so you become dehydrated and uh. you think it's hunger, so you eat. And also, even a heated swimming pool is kept slightly below blood blood temperature just so we don't all just sort of lie around like we're in the bath so even if all you're doing is splashing around playing with a toddler if you're in a swimming pool if you're submerged in water your body is working slightly harder than it is on land just for temperature regulation so so you eat more you're led to want to eat more after swimming anyway and also the better you get at swimming so if you have a beautiful elegant swimming stroke you're hardly expending any energy, so you won't burn calories in the same way as if you have a useless breaststroke, you know, kicking and taking up masses of calories from just not being terribly efficient in the water. So if you're going to look to swimming to lose weight, you're going to be disappointed and going to also need to invest in some fast days or something. But that's kind of what I loved about swimming was that when I was feeling quite rubbish about my body I'd had IVF I'd taken a lot of medication I sort of slightly didn't feel what there was no correlation between what I was eating and what I was doing and what was happening hormonally and so the buoyancy of that like I just swam I swam cold water through two winters because I had like what I'd begun the winter thinking was this horrible layer of fat all over me. Actually, by the end of the winter, I was thinking, well, thank goodness for that. I've had a fantastic time swimming around the pier for Halloween, diving in on Christmas Day, and I might not have been able to do that if I was eight stone. (laughs) Alex, why don't you tell us how it is that you managed to get into swimming? You live in Brighton, by the sea, but your relationship with the water hasn't always been a a good (laughs) one. (laughs) Yes. It was ever-present. I lived on the seafront, and I'd 
done five marathons, running up and down the seafront, a lot of training. Even, you know, I was going all the way to Shoreham Harbour, all the way down to Salt Dean and back, like huge marathon training runs. Even if you go up and out of Brighton and go for a run on the downs, you can still see the sea from up there. So it was always there and it was always on my mind, but a bit like how the how I'd felt about my body five years previously, like, yeah, it's there, but whatever. <laughs> then one day, it was the morning of my wedding, I decided to get in the sea. It was just the most perfect, beautiful, glassy sea. And I got in, it was lovely. And we got back from our honeymoon and the weather changed the second we got in the sea. My husband's wedding ring flew off, lost, never seen again. He lost his wedding ring in the sea? Yeah, the day oh, we no. got back from honeymoon. Then our house was flooded, there was a massive storm, and I thought, right, well, I'm not having this. I've lived by the sea for five years, I'm not going to be afraid of it. So I got in, did an open water swim, one-day swimming course, and it was very mildly choppy and I had a complete panic attack. Couldn't touch the bottom, where are the sides? Absolutely freaked out. I, and I frightened myself by how frightened I was and just absolutely resolved that if I live on the seafront, I cannot be afraid of the water. And so I took a year-long swimming course that began with primary school-style swimming lessons with the float kicking up and down and then ended at the beginning sort of took you through to the summer and then once you could swim a decent front crawl put you back in the sea and managed not to wig out that time <laughs> so that's a great point i think to hear an extract from leap in why don't we do that I had become more afraid of the sea than I knew it was possible to be, where once I had longed to relive the sense of freedom it had given me as a child. Now I wondered if I'd ever go in it again. On top of that, I was furious with it for its unpredictable moods, its slippery menace, and with myself for not being strong enough to fight it. Later that week, as we sat in a local takeaway, part of our daily routine now that we were rendered semi-homeless by the flood, I tried to articulate my rage to my husband. He understood how sad I was that he'd lost his wedding ring, but he seemed a little perplexed by my taking it quite so personally. It's like it hates me, I muttered into the laminated menu. Why does it want to ruin the start of our marriage? It's supposed to be the happiest summertime of our life, and I feel like I've spent most of it rotating my paperbacks around the terrace just to dry them quicker. It doesn't care, he replied. You can't pick a fight with an entire element. I stared at the illustrations of noodles and bit my lip. Maybe he thought I couldn't pick a fight with an element, but I was damned if I was going to let myself be beaten. I tasted the terror of not being able to swim, and I didn't like it. I knew from past experience that we choose the selves we want to be. The grit was in the oyster now. It was the sea versus me, and I would throw everything at this fight. So determined was I not to be deemed the loser. Very nice. <laughs> now, <laughs> James, is this feeling of needing to overcome something, is this a common thing you see in people who are trying to get into fitness? Yes, um, we've seen a number of people come through for various reasons. I think you've got a proportion of people that do it for vanity, so let's not sort of ignore that. People do do it to look a certain way, to be happy with themselves or f for others. But a lot of people like the structure that fitness gives them. It gives them something to do each day. We have a lot of people that have come from suffering from depression or going through divorces or family illness or something. So fitness gives people that kind of routine and structure and something to do. Um, Bullying is another huge area that we find a lot of the younger generation have been bullied through school due to being overweight or away they look and are determined from that to do something about it and that's where we step in to help people. Now habits are very important how do you get people to change their habits? The subtitle of your book is this book is not a quick fix it's a new way of life. 
Yes, so, I mean, for us, adherence, so being able to stick to something is the absolute key to any success. Making something unsustainable, unrealistic, will work for four weeks, but the person will fall off the bandwagon. They'll rebound to a place where they probably worse than when they started and feel worse about themselves. So, yeah, it's about making something a realistic habit, making changes, small changes that you can progress so that people can actually stick to them and having a realistic expectation of people that have children, have full-time jobs. You know, these are all usual daily chores that people have to go through and it needs to work around those for it to work long term. How did you change your habits, Alex? Well, people ask me this so much and one of the most common questions is how do you become a runner, like, for life? And there isn't, it's like James said, it's adherence, it's, there isn't a point where you get given, like, a membership card and then you can go, oh, thank goodness, that's sorted for three months. What it is, is that you have to decide every single day to carry on. Like, last winter, I never decided, this winter I'm going to swim outdoor throughout the winter it's just that every time it came up i decided when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Again, to carry on. And that's simultaneously the beauty and the horror of it. Because the horror is that you have to keep deciding. You can't just go write a check and go, oh, marvellous, that's taken care of. What you have to do is these tiny, consistent decisions. But the glory of that is that they are tiny. It is just one run or one swim or one no thank you to seconds or whatever it is. It's just that you have to maintain. <laughs> and it's good to remember where you were. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a sliding scale. Yeah. <laughs> Right, now let's talk about food. James, you've got all sorts of recipe plans in Lena Fitter Stronger. Give us an example of a recipe you love. I would have to say it's very simplistic, but that's probably due to my uh, culinary skills. Uh, it's a tuna burger. I know it sounds absolutely vile to many people probably listening. It involves one egg and a can of tuna. Most people can probably mash that together in a bowl and a frying pan. So I guess a beginner's recipe, if you like. It actually tastes really nice. What do you fry it in? Oil. Okay. Coconut oil, if, if you are kind of indoctrinated with the whole yeah. blurb You're with really coconut, into oil. coconut oil. I'm not into the co- uh, okay. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't think coconut oil is going to save everyone, but yeah, any, any oil of choice. And yeah, put it in a pan, some onions, and it's actually really, really nice, high in protein, uh, low calories, and doesn't taste as disgusting as it sounds. So yeah. yeah, I quite like the sound of that. Okay, there we are, winner. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Do you have all sorts of food that you... 
Well, it's changed because I do remember, I suppose I didn't know it then, but now I know it. When you start training for a marathon, you do need to eat quite a lot more than you're used to. And if you're doing 10Ks or you're learning to run and then suddenly you're doing quadruple that for a marathon. I do remember kind of an almost animalistic phase where it's like you just find yourself wandering off to the oven at three o'clock in the afternoon for a couple of casual sweet potatoes. So I've definitely let myself do that. But you have to be really doing some distance to validate that. I think something that a lot of people have a problem with is disconnecting food and exercise it's like I've been to the gym so it's pasta tonight and that's like massive uh, uh, through everything you did in the gym and it is yeah it's it's kind of balancing the two supplements do you take supplements not really I do kind of think if you're if you're eating your five a day and lots of them are green you're probably going to be okay unless there's something specific about yourself that's deficient but now you have some views on supplements yes maybe perhaps not what people would stereotypically would think when they look at us guys and we're actually although we do have a supplement range we view them as convenience tools so that's to say we don't sit there marketing what we would say arguably is a complete and utter lie saying something's going to make you transform the way you look from what you drink in, in a protein shake for us it's a convenience tool if you need to get more protein in your diet you can't get that from food or you don't have the time to do it you can have it in a protein shake but it's no different to consuming say a can of tuna or chicken so for us yes they do have a place but they're not going to revolutionize the way you look well in the world of celebrity many stars and their trainers are famed for what can only be considered radical approaches to weight management our next guest, however, has developed the feel-good plan and it's based on the idea that doing 15 minutes of something that makes you feel good can make a world of difference. We spoke to personal trainer to the stars, Dalton Wong, to find out more. How I got into looking after people's health and well-being is my father died when I was the age of 10. He went out running, died of a heart attack. So for most of my life, my mother has been very good at making sure that we eat well. And exercise wasn't the form of us going to the gym. It was doing sports. So I played hockey. I played rugby. I was quite active through my life. And then I went traveling to Australia, met my lovely wife, and then moved to England. And that's when I really started to do personal training nutrition and health and wellness. Within that time, I used to work at a place called the Harbour Club, which was fantastic. And then I went to work on Harley Street doing spinal rehab. So teaching people how to exercise after they've had a spinal condition. Then I set up my own gym, which is in a lovely muse house in London. And I met my wonderful co-author, Kate Faithful Williams, who was a journalist, but she really needs to get in shape for a wedding. And so she tried lots of different exercise techniques. And when she came to me, we discussed what were the best things that were going to help her look amazing and feel good. And part of it was finding out what exercise and what nutrition and what lifestyle plan worked for her. For years and years, she bothered me, Dalton, we should write a book. We should write a book. And then eventually we decided to write a book, which is The Feel Good Plan. Another reason why I wrote this book is one day my daughter came home from school and girls at school were calling her fat. By no way of the imagination is she fat. She has bigger cheeks like her father, but that's just genetics. So I came home and we explained to her that it's just a word. It's just a word girls use to elicit a reaction. And I said, you know, you're not fat. So as parents, my wife and I explained to her, but as someone who deals with health and wellness and a performance coach, I wanted to figure out how I could teach her to live a healthier life, to enjoy food, to enjoy exercise, and to enjoy being a lovely girl and a woman. So 
my brand ambassador, Jennifer Lawrence, is very the same. She's about enjoying her life, exercise, and eating well. And so part of this book is a plan for my daughter, so how she could grow up. Giving her the tools so she knows how to deal when life comes with different forms of stress. There are things that we can control, like how we move, how we exercise, what time we go to bed. And it's giving her and giving everybody the tools that they can use. So how do I put the feel-good plan into my current life? I commit 15 minutes a day. That's only 1% of the day. So what I do is when I'm traveling, I spend at least five to 10 minutes FaceTiming my kids. That's one thing that um, helps me. I also spend time reading a book, a chapter of a book. When I'm really tight or sore, I will stretch. So for me, every day I commit 15 minutes to myself where I don't have to be accountable to anyone. And that's what I try to tell people. Everyone has 15 minutes a day. It's about committing a little bit of time for yourself. And that's solely for yourself. For most of the people who gravitated towards Kate and my book is that they really like the fact that you can drink. They really like the fact that you can go out. They really like the fact that you can still have fun. It's not a book where it says no eating sugar. It's just about just being a bit more conscious of what you can do so you can still enjoy your life and have fun. So for most people, it's when you don't want to do something, that's normally the thing you need to work on. So let me put an exercise point of view. There are people who love to go to high intensity classes and they'll do hit classes, they'll spin, they'll do CrossFit, they'll do everything, but they won't go to a yoga class, a Pilates class. And these are the people who will be, my back is a bit sore, I can't touch my toes. And on the flip side, you have a lot of female clients who enjoy going to like bar classes, Pilates, and they're wondering why their bodies aren't changing. And so my view to them is, the things that you don't want to do, you should do. And it's the same thing with people who are trying to modify their diet. It's really difficult to like say, January, I'm gonna revamp my whole diet. So I advise all my clients is you need to do one small thing per week. So maybe you just change your breakfast, do that for a week and you're like, great, pat yourself on the back, that's another positive thing. Then you might work on to reducing the amount of coffee. Then it might be your lunch and dinner. And when you can do small things really well, they end up to be a big thing over a long period of time. And when it comes to stress relief, lots of people find exercise is stress relieving, which is great. But if you're exercising too much, that causes more stress. People like to use food or alcohol to help relieve stress. It's great for the short term, but not great for the long term. So my goal is to try to find things that work for them. Small changes every day. The exercise programs in here last 15 minutes. If you make one small change to your diet, which could be your, what you're drinking, eating, so forth, making something a change in how you're sleeping or how you cope with stress. Those are all little things that add up to a really big thing. The Feel Good Plan is out now. You can buy it online or at your local bookshop. Dalton Wong there, celebrity trainer and author of The Feel Good Plan. You're listening to the Live Life Better podcast from Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. If you're enjoying the show and are inspired by our guests today, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet using the hashtag LiveLifeBetter. So, I'm in the studio now with Alex Hemmingsley, author of Leap In and Running Like a Girl, as well as James Exton, one quarter of the LDN Muscle Team, who've just released their book, Leaner, Fitter, Stronger. And we're talking about turning points and the pursuit of fitness. Let's talk about body image. Why don't we start with you, James? How important is it? 
arguably a, a large proportion of the people that follow our plans do have a image in mind that they would like to look like. And I think most people would be telling a white lie if they said that they didn't have some kind of aspiration to look a certain way. And um, that being said, that's different for every single person. And we've had people that have lost, you know, huge amounts of weight and they look absolutely brilliant. No, they don't have a six pack, but does that affect the journey they've made? Not in our eyes at all. And we may look a certain way, but that's after sort of six or seven years of hard training. And that's not to say other people need to like the way we look or want to look the way we look. But for many, it provides an aspiration and it's helping them on their journey to get to where they want. Everyone's capable of doing it. So it's how much people want to make that difference. I wonder why blokes are so obsessed with having a six pack. Is there there must be some kind of anthropological reason for it's it? Like the, I don't know. It's like the archetypal kind of. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you myself. I think it's like ingrained in in some. Sort but of I mean, kind of having yeah, big arms four makes four thousand year old statues have yeah Adonises and uh, Greek gods and what have you. It's, yeah. it's years and years and years of being told it's the ideal will eventually but then, but, make you all believe it's the ideal. Well, sure, but I mean, if you've got like big arms, it makes sense because then you can then you're strong and you can do things. But why why the why the six Pack, I wonder. Yeah, it's because it's front and center, isn't it? It's yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't even see it half the time. You've got top on. Right, Alex. Let's talk about body image. Mm-hmm. Kind of reading your books, you seem more interested in. It wasn't your primary goal, or certainly maybe it was to start off with, but it mm. kind of faded as time went by, and you're more interested in the kind of feel good factor that you get. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think obviously being a healthy body weight is really important, but I think that quite specific although most definitely not unique to women is that they are judged a lot more on their looks all you need to do is look at like a a game show where you can have just a a nice looking gentleman presenting but the woman presenting will always be a knockout (laughs) that sort of dynamic has been going on for a really long time and I think a really important part of exercise, which does run hand in hand with losing some weight and feeling a bit better about yourself in a purely physical and physiological sense, is for women is stopping looking at themselves and only judging their body on what it can look like and how it can pleasure and entertain other people. When you make that kind of click to, you know, I kind of, I kind of don't care if that person looks at me weirdly today because I know that I nailed that 10k or I finally, finally can swim confidently with my face in the water and that pride will kind of, it can't kind of change everything about your life or everything about your looks but it can put into perspective what your previous body image was and make it much more healthy. No one is just what they look like. They always will and forever be what they can do as well. And I think it helps to balance the pendulum to appreciate both. And exercise is invaluable of that because you can't exercise without doing something. There is no way to exercise that doesn't involve doing a bit more than you thought you could do. <laughs> so it's, it's invaluable in that respect. My Fitbit has just buzzed me, telling me I've been sat in the same position for too long. (laughs) Um, Do you have any female, or any, doesn't matter if they're male or female, any fitness role models? I don't know. I kind of think that the people who've changed the openness of the industry in whatever way are more inspiring to me than just the ones with the uniquely beautiful bodies. I think Judy Murray is extraordinary because of how she approaches sport and she's really made it. That's Andy Murray's mum. Yeah, Yeah. she's done a lot for kind of women in sport and for opening up tennis to 
all kinds of generations and backgrounds. I think Davina McCall is also, because she's a bit older, you kind of, you, we all knew what she looked like before she went on her fitness journey. So it's, there's an honesty to it. I think Jessica Ennis is, again, just an unbelievably exciting role model for girls because she has a real sense of integrity. Again, it's that, that thing of like, being able to see the work that happened is the inspiring thing about fitness. The result is great, and I'm really happy that all three of them have fantastic bodies, but it's the fact that I can see how much went into it that is inspiring. How about you, James? Do you have any fitness role models? Even if you're born with a body like that, to, to take it to the next level, you've still got to work, of course. Yes, of course, yeah. Uh, bizarrely, um, our kind of outlook is when we entered the industry, we didn't have any role models, and that was kind of because it was a very cloudy industry with, um, as Alex touched on earlier large amount of the imagery was photoshopped and we were sort of vehemently against that because it gave false expectations to people um, and indeed in the supplement industry it was all very convoluted and well be careful of what I say but people that would obviously done more than just a gym and a diet to, to, to be the size of a house whereas us guys you know were, were still to non-gym users maybe slightly intimidated but we were still naturally what was naturally obtainable and that was our real ethos a genuine realistic approach that people could actually look like us without you know, training for years and being nowhere near their idol and then scratching the head and thinking, crikey, I've been sold a complete lie here, you know? Mm. And, that, and that's where we came into it with full-time professions and actually opened the door to people to say, it is actually achievable, but this is the limitation naturally of what is achievable and you need to set your goals in line with that. Mm. So, Alex, Woven Into Leap In is, is a subplot, mm. uh, if you like, detailing being on IVF treatment. Mm. And obviously, as you mentioned earlier in the show, you're now pregnant. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And... You, it's coming back to this kind of the mental benefits of yeah. be, keeping fit. You, you, swimming helped you kind of stay, keep it together while you were going through the difficulties of IVF. Yeah, I mean, IVF is difficult anyway because it's painful and it's invasive and those kinds of things. But also emotionally, it's quite complicated and obviously it's, it is unique, but nobody is having IVF because everything was going brilliantly beforehand. There's always an element of it that's going to be attached to the idea of failure or your body not doing what you want it to do. And it's quite difficult. And especially, I you know, spent five years on this wonderful discovery of running and writing books and telling women they could be whoever they wanted to be. And then I sort of hit this brick wall and felt extremely despondent and meant that by that point I didn't even have like running bottoms I could get on. I was completely unconfident going running. And swimming is very, very democratic in that respect. I mean, every piece of research that's ever been done shows it's much better to be active and slightly overweight than to be very, very slim and very, very inactive. And so for me to keep moving at my most difficult, most cumbersome point was hugely important and it was water that afforded me that. And you see people who have gone through tremendous sadness or have had injury and, you know, you're just like doing that slow breaststroke like a crocodile through the swimming pool. And I've seen so many times someone with a big scar running down their hip or someone like visibly who's been injured and then see someone loosen up and relax in the water and it's a very, very forgiving exercise environment. You're supported. There's no impact and it's it was this kind of solace to me for a really long time and in my spending some time there 
being looked after by swimming, I noticed how many other people are. And that was really, it was like, okay, everyone's on this, this journey and this battle to carry on loving their body despite all these images coming at us and despite the challenges that we're all facing. And it was, I found it really, really inspiring to see all of the different, I mean, I've swim with people 30, 40 years older than me, swim year round, and you cannot tell when someone is standing in front of you what they might be capable of. And then that becomes an amazing thing to bear in mind in life generally. Alex, as we close, what are your top tips for getting started? There's only really one tip as far as I'm concerned, which is to know with absolute certainty that almost every time the things that you think are the barriers to stop you from engaging with exercise just don't exist. They're in your head and they seem really big at three in the morning. But start with a run walk for 10 minutes and you will have started and then it's done over you never have to start again James quite similar actually just believe in yourself to start with um the biggest hurdle for most people is getting started it's probably not dissimilar to to a dissertation or an essay <laughs> it's not as bad as you usually think get started the moment you start that will inspire you to continue and give you the motivation to continue what's next for you uh, continue doing what we're doing, helping as many people as possible and expanding sort of our message and um, just trying to you know meet as many inspirational people along the way. Arguably, a lot of the people that transform with us are as inspirational to us as we may have been to them in the past. So it's really sort of a mutual beneficial relationship. And Alex, what's next for you? Um, well, I have a feeling that this, <laughs> I'm going to get bigger before I get smaller. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but I am, there's, there is something quite satisfying about you know, when you do start exercising after a period of not exercising and I'm going to just commit to enjoying that in about six months' time. So, yeah. Very good. And why don't we, we'll, we'll finish, folks. Both of you give your, your websites a, a big plug or your books a big plug. Why don't you go first, Alex? Well, the book is Leap In and on social media I am Hemo on Twitter and Hemograms on Instagram. So that's where you can find me. And you, James? Come and follow us on Twitter. It's LDN underscore muscle and the same for Instagram. Our website, ldnmuscle.com. And our book that launched just a few days ago is Leaner, Fitter, Stronger, available in Waterstones and on Amazon. So that's Leaner, Fitter, Stronger by James Exton and the LDN Muscle Team and Running Like a Girl and Leap In by Alexandra Heminsley. And of course, also The Feel Good Plan by Dalton Wong. And you can find out more about the authors at virgin.com. Plus, there are more motivational tips, podcasts and advice. We'd love to hear how this show has inspired you to live life better. So get involved with the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag LiveLifeBetter. A huge thanks once again to my guests and join us again in two weeks' time as we continue our quest to improve our lives. We'll be speaking about the subject of happiness. Remember to subscribe now on iTunes so that you don't miss it. Live Life Better is a Pixiu production for Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. I'm Dominic Frisby. We'll see you in a fortnight. Cheerio!
When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.